When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Five, stand by. Four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Women on Deadline, a podcast about her experience in TV news. I'm Sierra Starks. And I'm Carolyn Hall. Sierra, I need an update from you about what the talent coach said, because I know he was meeting with you last week, right? Right. So every six months, we have the talent coach from Hearst, a company I uh, work for, come and sort of review our work from the past six months, which is crazy because that means I've been at my new station for six months. Um, And so what did he say? Uh, He had really good feedback in terms of just my on-air presence. Um, I think we talked about what my future goals were, uh, and I told him that uh, eventually when I go back to school, that um, something on the morning show would be better for me to um, to manage so I could, you know, go to work in the early mornings and then go to go to class um, after that. So he was like, well, if you want to be a morning anchor, that is um, a position that most people just listen to, right? Like if you watch, the, if you watch, quote unquote, the morning show, it's very much like, oh, I'm brushing my teeth at you know, 6.15, and I know that that's when the weather will come on, or or things like that. People sort of plan out their mornings based on the morning show. So they're doing more listening than watching, and he recommended uh, just to take, uh, I don't know, my my whole career to the next level, basically, um, a voice coach, which you and I have had talks about this, Carolyn, and I totally agree. Um, I, disclaimer, think that I sound like a 13-year-old giving people the news, but... uh, (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh my anyway he did not agree that i sound like a 13 year old so that's I'm helpful on, I'm on his side <laughs> I know. Oh, gosh but he did say um that i need to breathe from my diaphragm more so and it will round out my voice so it won't it won't change my voice this talent coach that he recommended or this voice coach sorry that he recommended because, you know, like, sometimes you have, like, people who have their regular voice and their, report- their reporter voice is like this. And, and I don't want that. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't want that at all. I don't want that. That's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> You're just looking for a so little told- bit of oomph. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so he said <laughs> that breathing from my diaphragm more and really working with this voice coach will um just help round out my voice. Uh, so... Because right now it's very like throaty and nasally and to round it out more, uh, he thinks will propel my little talents there. So nice. Nice. Yeah. But overall, a really, really good, um, a really good meeting. I was able to talk to him sort of about my concerns, you know, being at this station for just a short amount of time because I am for people who don't know, I'm a military wife. So wife, uh, I need wife. to, I know, <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. I still have to tell the first date story. We'll, yeah. we'll get there eventually. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
But I, I need to do what I need to do to get a job at the next place, you know, we make it to. I don't know where that will be yet, but I want to make sure that, you know, what I'm putting together now is able to get me to, to where I need to be. So that's what happened. Nice. Or is there anything in particular that you talk to him about that you're struggling with or that you're finding that you're succeeding in? Uh, I think most likely my ability to just be personable, right? Like every time I'm I'm on the news, I don't I don't I don't know, I don't necessarily want to be seen as just like the late the girl who stands and does this and that, you know what I mean? Like I just really like I want to meet people at their needs and I want to like this is the people that are watching the news who I'm meeting at their needs. So <laughs> So um but he thought that that was really good that I was very conversational. <clears throat> And I was very personable, so I appreciated that. And Carolyn, uh, he used your favorite word in the English language. Oh God! <laughs> Don't so every tell time me. anybody, yeah, I know. Every time anybody uses the word photog, I immediately think of Carolyn because I, I don't know, was I maybe one of your victims? Uh, probably. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't probably. Remember. I'm sure you were. Carolyn does not like the word photog. I right? hate that word. It's not and even a word. She... I hate it. Oh gosh, God! It's so. I remember when demeaning. you came to a. <laughs> when you came... sorry, I can't keep it together. <laughs> when you came to Alaska, and uh, one of the reporters you worked a lot with um, was she kept uh, she she used to use the word photog. And it sort of changed, like, her whole vocabulary to say, photojournalist. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, Carolyn's working her magic. She's doing it. She's changing all our brains. Dude. So anyway, yes. It, Why don't you like the word photog? I hate that word. It's just, it's like, it's mean slang, you know? I don't know. It's It's really demeaning to the the job that you're performing photog gives the impression that you know you're a camera monkey and that that's all that you're capable of if you're using the word photojournalist all of a sudden there's like there's a lot more weight to it and i mean because it's true you're a journalist you're um you're someone who's telling a story not with words but but visually and you're making editorial decisions based on that. And so to use the word photog, that's just really, I don't know. It's just, it makes my skin crawl. And it makes me feel like you don't value my skills and what I bring to the table in this reporter photojournalist relationship. And so, yeah, whenever, like, I avoid using that word photog and, you know, because it's, I understand that it's easier to say that it's, you know, real brief and it's just, Something that you can spit out real fast, and that photojournalist is like photojournalist. Oh my god, five syllables! But it's important because it shows value and, res- and respect for your colleague, plus towards yourself and the craft that that you perform. So yeah, I hate it. <laughs> so ob- yeah, so obviously Carolyn has uh, strong feelings, and um, so I. But I do have a question: Are you okay with the word photographer? Because I know some photographers who don't consider themselves photojournalists. I know. And that's such a, and I understand that, you know, because everybody has a different relationship with their work. Right. But I do think that there needs to be a minimum standard that we operate under. Um, and, and I understand that it's easier to say photographer as well, but I mean, you're still doing more than just pointing a camera at something and hitting record, you know, you're, you're still 
making those editorial judgments based on the lighting, the camera angle, the editing, especially, you know? So yeah, I get it. Like photographer, but it's, not, but there's not so- in all cases. I know. I don't think so. I, I think that, I think that not all photographers are photojournalists. Yeah. All right. Tell me more. Tell me more. Cause I, I do think that they're, there's a, a valuable discussion here. There, because there are some people who really are just like they go mail it in every day and they don't give a shit, you know. And unf- so and, those and people would be photographers. They I would know. not be photojournalists. I know, and, it's and they'd so be okay bad. with that. But the station shouldn't be okay with that, you know. I mean, I understand that you can't control people's attitudes, but I mean, our communities deserve better from us. I mean, we're the press, you know. First Amendment issues, sharing of information, you know, connecting our community with other community members, sharing policy stories and politics and, you know, really news and information that's really important to society. And I don't know, that's maybe I'm being too idealistic there, but I I get it, though. I I totally understand because I've worked with people who are just like... They just don't care. <laughs> and yeah, just just more photographers than photojournalists. I got it. Yeah. Well, tell me more. Tell me more about that. It's exactly what you just said. I feel like if you're if you're, I mean, I can think of like film majors who, um, sort of need, <clears throat> excuse me, who need a starting job, and you know, find themselves in a newsroom and uh, feel very overwhelmed going to you know go shoot a vosat you know what i mean because they're like uh i've never really asked these kind of questions things like that right and so i think in those instances those are definitely photographers more than they are photojournalists yeah i get it i'm but i just i don't know i i think that we really need to hold ourselves to a standard I think it's too important, but I know that again, that's ideal, idealistic, and perhaps not realistic at all. But I don't know. Did you um, did you see on Facebook a week or two ago uh, an article, an academic article that was making the rounds? It was titled, I think, "Her Photographer," and I don't remember what the subtitle was, but it had to do with um, the awful awful um live broadcast of the wdbj uh murders uh i think it's two years ago more than two years ago now did you see that on on social media anywhere i did and i immediately thought of you oh (laughs) thanks well it's so it's it was a really fascinating article and it just it really put a lot of research and survey um evidence uh into this article um that um it just it really put that evidence behind like my my thoughts that you know if you're saying that it's you're saying the word photog or photographer it's really demeaning the work that that person performs and especially with the language that a lot of media outlets were using which was her photographer and um, I, it feels a little insensitive um, talking about it with this lens of this academic lens of dissecting the language that print and TV media outlets used in order when they were reporting on the event. But essentially, um, what this study was doing was they were 
looking into how print approached the coverage and how TV approached the coverage and the vernacular that they used when, um, when describing the event. So um, unfortunately, the article is behind a paywall. Um, I was able to read it because I am in school. And so through my university, I was able to gain free access to read the article. But I don't think a lot of people have read the article. So um, there were a couple of things in there that I wanted to, I guess, just talk about and and read from. Um, and Sierra, you said that you didn't have a chance to read it, right? I did not, but I sort of skimmed through the overview and uh, just knowing how you feel about the reporter-photographer relationship and how that's looked at um, by almost everyone, uh, as in like, you know, the reporter and her photographer, uh, I, I thought of you immediately. Yeah, gosh. And it's just, uh, it just makes me shake my head every time I think about it. These are some quotes that I'm reading from now. Um, Riders tend to see their visual colleagues as beasts of burden. The quote, these writers believed that if photographers did not write, they could not think. Um, so, oh, yeah, geez. I know. It, it was so <laughs> depressing reading this. I was just getting so angry while reading. And it's like, that's true. That's true. That's true. That, and it's just like, I'm like, oh, just make me so mad because photojournalists are a lot more like we bring so much value to the storytelling process and Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of people in tv newsrooms that just that they don't they don't value what we bring at all Um, and it's interesting being on this side of it like the reporter side of it i had never heard of the term camera monkey until you used it a couple minutes ago but that but that's just interesting that like that you know that term you know what i mean yeah yeah, and it's a term that's not new to the industry. I don't know from um, conversations that I've had um, throughout the years. Plus, with my husband Scott, it's it's something that we've talked about frequently. Um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to read a little bit more from the article here. Um, Newspaper stories were more consistent with Allison Parker's professional titer, title, reporter, than with Adam Ward's title. He was a cameraman. 88% of the time, but also a photographer, a photojournalist, or a videographer. While the difference is not dramatic, it does reflect less intimate knowledge of his job. Moreover, cameraman is a less formal title than photojournalist or videographer and connotes a person who points a lens where commanded. This could be anticipated by print journalism's variable relationship with photography and the way it has historically rested authority in the technical perfection of the camera, not the photographers. Significantly, Ward was referred to as her cameraman or photographer five times in print, furthering the connotation that she was the head of the partnership. Never was she referred to as his reporter. To refer to Ward as her cameraman is not the same as her colleague, in that it communicates his service in her storytelling. The photographer's role in constructing a visual story and the choices made in terms of composition, frame, angle, and perspective are obscured by the repetition of this simple phrase. So that was talking more about um, the print, like the print and online media, and how they covered and how they refer to the reporter photojournalist relationship uh, when covering that story. So for TV stations, um, 
this one gets a little bit long, so please bear with me. In regards to television, because what I just said before was regarding print coverage, for television coverage, I'm going to continue to quote from the article um, where it says, Titling for Parker and Ward followed a pattern similar to that in print. She was nearly always a reporter. He was usually a cameraman, but sometimes a photographer or a videographer. The possessive was used here frequently as well, always as her colleague, never the other way around. Differences in coverage were more remarkable on television because of the way the two were visually depicted. Many stations used candid shots of the A-team, showing Parker and Ward clowning around behind the scenes, often with him eating and her smiling. Still, portraits of them usually showed Parker in dress clothes and Ward in a hoodie, a repeated pattern likely rooted in the photos handed out by WDBJ. When discussing the victims, Parker was almost always mentioned first and depicted on the left, connoting first. She was discussed in more detailed and dimensional ways, often with the phrase, rising star, and as someone with a bright future in television. Ward's potential was not presented in similar terms, in spite of the fact that he was highly praised by his colleagues and had more experience. So there's that. Um, Yeah, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's depressing. (laughs) It's depressing. Well, I can just imagine it being a mindless task. Um, just because we are so used to hearing, you know, the reporter and her cameraman for that to be the style of, you know, we, we, it's, it's taught around, you know, newsroom or journalism schools around the country, be conversational, right? Talk how, talk how everybody talks, right? Mm -hmm. And so in writing scripts, I can see it being mindless just to be like, oh, Parker and her photographer. But it's always, why, why the possessive? Why is it her? Like, why is it her photographer? You know, even if it was her photojournalist, why is why is she possessing him? You know, yeah. and it's it's almost like and this this is beyond this particular situation, but it's even in, you know, out in the field. It's always like the reporter's photographer. And it's like it's like where, you know, dogs on a leash. You know, that's <laughs> that's what it feels like. And and it's, you know, I over time, I definitely developed a, a complex about it because I bring a lot more to the table than, you know, just carrying around a camera and a tripod. You know, I had this. Oh, my gosh. I will never forget this conversation. It was with a reporter at the last TV station that I worked at, and she was trying to tell me that photographers do not make editorial decisions. And I was like, uh, you are very wrong about That's this. That's not a fight to pick with Carolyn ever. B2 no. Dubs. Yeah. Not even like I will shut that down. And I did. I don't think she believed me, which I like, I can't believe that she had the audacity to even say that, you know, the skills that I bring to the table are not considered, you know, making editorial judgments. And I lay it out, you know, well, it's it's the camera angles that we shoot an interview at. It's, you know, our relationship to the scene and, and how we choose to present the visual information that is in front of us. It's it's not only what we record, but it's also what we choose not to record. Mm-hmm. And so there there are many, many editorial decisions that are being made in the moment by the person who is operating that camera. 
And so I was so insulted, Sierra. I was so insulted when this reporter tried to tell me that photographers do not make editorial decisions and essentially that, like, like we are here to serve them. And, and this is coming from a young reporter who does, who does not have the experience or authority to say these things. <laughs> it's like, are, are you, no, are you kidding you. me? Oh, I was yeah. so mad. And so, having having MMJ'd before, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Okay. Having MMJ'd before, I can say that I truly respect uh, the photographer's position, um, honestly. And, and, and so in, in knowing, you know, what you guys have to bring to the table, I, I very much think of my packages as a team effort. You know, like, yeah, yes, my face is on them, and yes, I'm the live hit, and yes, I'm tracking, and yes, it's my voice, um, and yes, when people, you know, refer to the story, they'll say Sierra's story, like, did you see Sierra's story last night? But I know that it took two people <laughs> to make that story, um, and I'm always considerate of my photographers in the field even when we arrive to a scene and you know I introduce myself I'm also like and this is whoever my photojournalist is for the day you know what I mean because sometimes they get overlooked as if like you're they're just there with the camera and that's all they do (laughs) right right it's and it's yeah it's very interesting because after after we'll finish maybe um an interview the person will say well uh you know I I really feel bad for your editor and I'm like well you my editor you just met my editor like yeah well, yeah <laughs> it's very interesting yeah and you know I, I I don't blame you know whoever we're interviewing or interacting with out in you know the public because they aren't familiar with the relationships you know and the sub relationships that are in the newsroom. Um, but when it comes to the way that we refer to ourselves as an industry, we are perpetuating this demeaning language where it really makes it feel like and seem like photographers aren't worth it and that we don't bring value to this working relationship or to the newsroom. And that's simply not the case. Not even close. No, that's not the case. I'd, I'd like I can remember the first stories that we worked on together, like us having conversations in the car, maybe even before we got to the car, because I know you were a little hesitant about my, my dating in Alaska series, but <laughs> uh, that I was. <laughs> but just but just um, how much of a team effort that was like I I really trusted on you and relied on on you to bring things to the table that I couldn't bring. You know what I mean? I, I trusted your editing skills definitely because I knew you'd have a challenge ahead of you on that first one. So, Oh my gosh, that story. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh, that story. But at the end of the day, like this was our product to me. It was not just my dating series by any means. So, yeah. Yeah, I when I was um, at the last TV station, the one that you and I worked together, um, I I changed some minds. Like I remember one reporter in particular; he was great, and he was always very um, very sensitive to the fact that I considered myself a photojournalist. 
And so I really appreciate that. So it's not everybody who's, you know, just, you know, dumping on us or anything like that. But um, I, I think it's really important to value your colleagues and to have respect for your colleagues. And unfortunately, language such as photog or photographer or her photographer or his photographer really demeans, um, you know, the work that we're really, you know, bringing to the to the project, to the story. And honestly, Sierra, I think part of this stigma and the perpetuation of photographers and photojournalists like not being a valued part of the storytelling process um, has led me to enrolling back in school and basically proving you know, this is just one small thing. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, though. But it's like one one small thing for me to basically show all of these reporters and naysayers throughout the years who have this attitude that photojournalists aren't worth it or we don't have brains to think or write with um, just because we operate a camera. It's like, no, I have a lot of value and guess what I'm in grad school and I'm kicking ass and I'm going to do well and yeah I'm smart and yeah just that that whole thing where you know regardless of if you're you know if you're using the word photog or photographer like the connotation there is that you're not a smart person or that you don't you know you you're not your opinion or your skills are not valued um I don't know does any of that make sense? It does make sense, and it's it's unfortunate. It, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. It sucks, man. I don't know, I'm really curious to know what other photojournalists out there think, or or reporters as well. And you know, I don't know. And and even MMJs. I mean, I know your struggles and your victories are a lot different than you know having separate relationships from reporter and photojournalist, but. I'm really curious to know what other people think about this as well. If they see an issue, if these if they've experienced issues, do they think it's not an issue? I, I'm really curious to know what other people out there think about this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, Carolyn, you just wrapped up a really uh, cold weekend. <laughs> well, it wasn't that cold. Everything's relative, though. It was like 27. I, I, live, I live by the beach now, so <laughs> yeah. everything's cold to me. <laughs> I get that. I get that. But, yeah, it wasn't that 27 bad. 27 degrees? Yeah, 27 degrees. 
Dude. Oh, man, that was great. It was <laughs> honestly, it was so nice to walk in snow again. It was, only, it was only a couple inches, and it was just like, oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> okay, why, why did you go to Fairbanks? Okay, so I was in Fairbanks on Friday and Saturday um, with my friend and colleague, um, co- fellow collaborator, Jessica Stugelmeyer, who we've talked about briefly before in this podcast. Um, we were up there for the Alaska Food Policy Council Conference. Um, and the conference had, we were there to learn and to connect with people across the state. Um, and we were also there to give a presentation about our work along with Gina Romero, who was not able to make it, um, in creating Harvesting Alaska. Harvesting Alaska, we started it in the summer season of 2016 and, um, it to cut to the chase, and um, we ended up winning a James Beard Award for it. Whoa! Uh, yeah. <laughs> James Beard! It is so good to have friends in high places. I'm just saying. Sierra, oh my gosh. <laughs> You're embarrassing me. Um, yeah, it was... It was a magnificent uh, honor. Um, we had we really did not think that we had a shot in winning whatsoever. We were nominated, and then we were up against um, CBS this morning's The Dish, and we were up against. Um, gosh, I don't remember. It was it's a TV station in Chicago that we were up against for their food reporting, and. Ultimately, yeah, uh, here we are, little station in Alaska, um, walking away with the James Beard Award. And uh, Jessica was there in New York to accept it and gave a speech thanking everybody for the opportunity and for um, the honor. And, yeah, so we we talked about um, basically how the series was created and you know kind of the the strategizing that went into it and how it was a multi-platform effort um between the three of us who again it was gina romero jessica stugelmeyer and myself and the way that it just kind of played out through the season um yeah and it was actually it was really well received and it was just really nice to have the discussion afterwards um during the q a with some folks around the state who I mean, their primary focus, they're producers. So, like, they're farmers or they're ranchers or um, they're urban gardeners. They're policymakers. They're um, scientists, you know, um, looking into, like, soil pH and, and all these um, different food issues that are affecting the state because Alaska imports 95% of its food, which is... So, an- the, str- the, str- the struggle is real to find some lettuce... That is not going to go bad in four days. <laughs> Seriously, it's so awful. Like, we are so dependent on, you know, those, the food being barged up here. And it's, there are so many issues that are involved with that that aren't really relevant to TV news. So I won't bring them up really in the podcast. But that was the reason why we were there. And it was just, it was really nice to connect with um, folks across the state who really value um, fresh local food and supporting the local economy in doing so and and as part as part of um our vision for harvesting alaska was about sharing those stories of those local producers and what folks are doing across the state that are either traditional farming or you know um 
uh, with harvesting of produce or these new technologies like with hydroponics um, and the policy issues surrounding them, that was what Harvesting Alaska was meant to focus on. And so, um, yeah, we had really good discussion with folks afterwards. And, and I think it was something for the audience in that room to think about as far as ways that they can, in the roles that they have, connect with their community. Because I don't, I don't know exactly the level to which they may have thought about that before, but we got a lot of questions about essentially how can they, you know, share their story. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a really awesome experience, and it was so nice to meet different people from around the state who value food in, in similar ways that Jess and I do. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, I remember when you guys uh, first pitched Harvesting Alaska to the newsroom as in, like, this is a new series we're starting. We'd love to hear your story ideas, you know, if you're if you're a reporter or a photojournalist or, who you know, whoever had a story. And uh, to this day, like, showing people my, like, one piece that I did for Harvesting Alaska, they are <laughs> – it's just, like, just very interesting. And I felt like that's – that was how I felt in, in watching all of the Harvesting Alaska pieces was – I don't know, just Alaskans are tough people, you know, and, it looked like, <laughs> and I felt like Harvesting Alaska, like, really showed, like, how resilient they are. Yeah, and actually, we talked about one of the stories that you did, because you were doing your Fashion Friday segment, and you did, did a fiber arts piece, mm-hmm. and do you, can you share a little bit of those details from the story? Oh, yeah, so, so it was, I guess, I mean, Harvesting Alaska was more or less, like, how, like, Alaskans using like what they have to uh make food basically and and one um one part of that was uh I was part of this Facebook group called Alaska Goat Talk and then I remember finding this lady who bas- essentially made fiber art like like yarn and you know would would then like make her own sweaters and make her own this and that um all these all these things she made like from the farm I mean, from the farm in her backyard it was just like amazing and crazy to me because I'm like how do you even like buy a goat or buy a sheep right (laughs) and then have this concept that like I'll use this part of the goat for meat and then you know I'm gonna use what I can of this wool to make uh, a throw for my for my couch um and so that's what I was really interested in so I ended up going to um a farm and there were just it was it was sheep it was sheep because it was sheep for days <laughs> sheep for days and they had the cutest names like uh uh woolly mammoth right it was it was or no woolly nelson that's what it was <laughs> they had the that's cutest great. names and then um one of the my favorite parts of the piece is when she's teaching us like how to shear the sheep because you have to you know shear the sheep to get their fur off um and she sort of holds it in this weird, like, chokehold. But it's not a chokehold. It's like this weird thing. And it just goes completely limp. Right? And she's like, this doesn't hurt it at all. And uh, you should just see how, like, my, my movements right now. She's like, this doesn't hurt it at all. And then they just shear it. And this, it's the sheep was, like, literally bouncing around two seconds before. And she puts it in this weird thing. And it's just, like, hanging there. And I'm like, Is it like a headlock or something? I am, like, over my head. <laughs> Like, what is going on at this farm? <laughs> so, so after after you have the wool, you have to like clean it and pick it and dye it and all this stuff. And then after that, you have to spin it so that it's actually like yarn. And then you have to make whatever you make. And so my piece, like, just just 
was the whole process sort of start to finish and honestly just fascinating and I feel like that was just a reflection of um, you guys' idea and what did you want it to make happen, right? You wanted to get all this information out um, and, and do it in a way that people would be interested and I felt like Harvesting Alaska totally did that. Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah, we we really just wanted to have uh, a funnel, a one like one place to have this statewide discussion of what folks are doing to live off the land, um, and and also to keep that dialogue going as a way as a vehicle to discuss um, food policy issues, like what can the state do, what can the policymakers do to improve our food security because all it takes is one massive devastating earthquake in a earthquake prone area such as Alaska um, to really put the state into a tailspin when it comes to you know access to food and access to water and other supplies because I, I mean what other state imports 95% of their food I mean I don't know what Hawaii is like or anything but I mean, it's a major All it issue. Takes for yeah, is a boat not to show up? <laughs> yeah, and we've <laughs> done those boat, stories, right? If a boat doesn't show up, Freddy's or Fred Meyer, uh, the like sort of the one of the main grocery stores there, empty, like bare shells. People go crazy, like almost apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember what was it? Two years ago or so, there mm-hmm. was there was a barge that lost power and was just drifting or something like that. Or yeah, exactly. And I I remember I actually went to Fred Meyer and uh, our assistant news director at the time was like, "Can you just take some photos of what the uh, produce section looks like?" <laughs> and what did it look like? And I was like, "Click. Uh, there's nothing here." <laughs> God, that's so bad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, that will do it for us on women well, well, on deadline. Yeah, hold on. Oh, I have one more. I have one other there's question. More? It's such a burning question, Sierra. I have to know. Uh-oh. What was okay. on, what was on your feet when you went to that farm? What was I think I wore. I think I wore my. Did I wear my rain boots? Wait, do you know the answer to this question? No, I don't know the answer. But I like. I have to know because, (laughs) like, for those of you who may or may not know, Sierra, like, she is a fashionista and she is. She's epically known for wearing stilettos and like these amazing, beautiful shoes. And so I just, I really want to know what you wore to the farm that day. I want to say I changed into rain boots. There's a photo out there of me somewhere, and uh, in my um, photojournalist Riso. At the sea, I said my photojournalist. Yeah. I think that's how. Yeah, I know. I'm totally sorry. No, it's like, <laughs> why are you apologizing? That's a good thing. I was being possessive, as if he was oh, my yeah, photojournalist. Photojournalist. I was. I was like, oh, she said photojournalist, and yeah. I, uh, see, I glossed over the my part. Yeah. Ugh, not good. And speaking of somebody who is all about making editorial judgments, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Rick Riso <laughs> is that man. Um. Okay, sorry. Oh, I he is super. He is super creative, and man, he is one of the best live shot lighters that I've ever seen. Man, the background he always looked fake. Oh god, but in a, like in a, a good way. Screen. Oh gosh, he was he's so good at lighting. So so good at lighting. I loved looking at you like on my TV in the morning. I'm like, oh <laughs> damn, she looks good, and I'd send you text message being like, you would damn, me you text. look good. <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm going to end with I think it was rain boots, but of course I had a, a pair of heels in the car. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna end with. I'm sure you did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. That will do it for us on Women on Deadline, a podcast about her experience in TV news. I'm Sierra Starks. And I'm Carolyn Hall. Be great, girl. You be great, Sierra. Out in five, four, three, two. Nice job, ladies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.